podcast coordinator for Crave the Sound. We're starting off the new year with Lily McLean and Zach Clement interviewing local Colorado musician Margot Cease of the Bees. Margot talks with them about the band's slightly disorganized music process, playing live show, and together they delve into the band's upcoming album. Enjoy! Do you want to do like a little intro maybe like? Well, I do have like one question to start us off that I think it's like pretty important. Like before important. we say? Yeah. Okay. Yes, yeah. So you have an AOL email address. Yes, I do. Can you speak to that? <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, no, I've always had an AOL email address. My dad set it up for me when I was like six years old. Okay. I did the same thing with my two sisters and like my whole family had AOL. And I have just like literally kept it through the years because it's it's the thing I feel the most comfortable with. And also because everybody else diverged from AOL and went on to other emails, AOL is just like totally ad free. It's consistent. You get on there. It's just a good, good, good email address. So I've always kept it. Is this an AOL ad? I <laughs> you convinced me. AOL I might sponsor change. us, please. Yeah. Uh-huh. That would be nice. That would be nice. Um, but yeah, do you want to do? An um, intro. This is Crave the Podcast. I'm Zach. I'm Lily. And here we are with uh, Margot from The Bees. Today. You want to kick it off? Yeah, we're just going to be talking through a little bit of the band, the band's history. We're going to be going through a particular track and a little bit of a music video, which is very exciting. So, Margot, we've heard some conflicting stories about where The Bees comes from. And we want it, we want the truth. We want it once and for all. Is it the Bible? Is it middle school volleyball? Is it purple zebras? What is it? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Uh, Well, so you're not going to get the truth right here because my truth is different than Ian's truth. And I think that Will doesn't care. Um, (laughs) uh, And so my understanding of it is that there are two parts of that that are actually true. We had a volleyball match like that day and Ian and I needed a name for it. And at that point we were going by the purple zebras slash the sunkissed nips, um, which just wasn't doing it anymore, you know, cause we were getting older, sixth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were like, okay, well, what are we gonna do? And my impression is that we went upstairs and we grabbed my mom's like enormous dictionary off the shelf and we just, plopped it open and like that was the word because I have absolutely no idea where else we would have gotten it Um, because at that point I know Ian was not actively reading the Bible nor does he actively read the Bible to begin with so I don't think that it came from the Bible I think that he probably looked up the beeves one time and found a Bible verse and was like "Uh uh-huh this is this is how it came to be but he's really under the impression that that's where it came from and so maybe it is because maybe I'm maybe I'm uh not quite um I don't know. So I, I that's my impression. So we used the beeves for our volleyball team. And I remember that we were dressed up as like 1980s, um, like kind of flamboyant volleyball players with our big beards. And it was the first time it was ever used. And we just kind of stuck with it from then on. So that's my understanding of it. And I don't think I ever like expected to keep the name, um, nor did I expect to still be playing this many years later. I think that's kind of where the name has come from. I mean, we'll believe you, so yeah. <laughs> sounds good. Um, so, I mean, going back a little bit, since I was sixth grade when the name came about, do you want Actually, wanna... I think that was eighth grade. Eighth grade? I think that was eighth grade, because we, we started in sixth grade, and then, like, then it was the Beavs in eighth okay. grade. Okay. So. so you guys started in sixth grade. Do you want to tell us a bit more about, like, the history of you guys as a band, the story of, like, 
the Beavs, and then how I mean, you guys all got into music and decided to start a band back yeah, in sixth grade crazy. or whatever. Crazy, we are going way back. Um, <laughs> I was just a child, and so is Ian. I mean, he and I met um, when we were in sixth grade, and just immediately it was like this chemical um, reaction, and we started playing just every single day together um, because growing up in little small town Erie. There's not really a lot for us to do, and we kind of felt a little separated from everybody else um, just around us, and we were really the only two that were starting to get into music and everything. We were both terrible guitar players, but we were really passionate and excited about it, and we just started to play literally every day after school. Like, from like that moment on, it was like until like middle school was over, we were just playing all the time. Um, and since then, I mean, we've just literally been playing. And uh, after middle school was done, in the early years of high school, we'd had kind of a rotating drummer through those years where Ian and I would switch off. I would drum, he'd play guitar, he would drum, I would play guitar kind of thing. Um, and then we had a couple drummers. And eventually we didn't, we wanted to get out of, you know, Erie and play other places. We had no idea how the fuck to book a show. And so we just started busking on Pearl Street because that was literally the only spot that we knew you could just play and people would be there. And so we corralled his younger brother, Will, who was like 14, I think, at the time, uh, to come and just sit down and go like... Um, and we started busking and just playing like, like three Against Me songs and like a really shitty rendition of Wagon Wheel for some reason. Which I probably shouldn't admit. Uh, yeah, and we just rotate like, and a, like we had like two originals at that point that we were kind of rotating um, in that set too, and just playing them two two guitars, Will um, Will on the drums, just like with the bass drum and the snare, and we do it for hours, like hours and hours, like six plus hours, like every single weekend and it kind of like solidified it was like I guess this is kind of what we're doing so it's kind of like the early early beginning of where we all started out you know before we were like this is a band you know so since you started playing like live gigs and busking do you think that there's like a different energy that you bring to live shows versus when you're recording oh absolutely oh my goodness um uh so with a live performance for me that's kind of you know that's where i thrive especially with this project and i think that the way we are as a band is that it is really a focused live performance and it's a live act and when we first started recording um it was really scary because there was another band out of nashville called diarrhea planet if you guys have heard of them um they're amazing actually despite like the humorousness of the name like they're actually a very like serious and awesome like there's like five guitar players and they're they're so awesome but we had heard these stories of like how amazing their live performances were composed like opposed to their recordings and they kind of fell apart as a band because they could never actually capture that live performance in a sound recording and so i think at the beginning we kind of were getting worried about that because we had really figured out how to play live and that's what we felt comfortable doing and for me like over the years it's taken different it it means different things but i think it's ultimately kind of 
had the same effect on me every time I play like a live performance. And I think we, Ian and I specifically, have always had that same ideology. And in, in my opinion, it's kind of like a half an hour to 45 minutes of like reinvention to kind of let your eyes roll back and to just kind of exist. Um, and I know Ian feels the same way and we've both kind of tried to channel that through the years and with recording it was really hard in the beginning because it's so technical and trying not to get psyched out when there's so much going on was really difficult so I think that you know our first our first recordings were a lot of fun but I think we were definitely in our heads um, like the first thing we did that never got released and then our EP which was a lot of fun too but I definitely think that we weren't as like we were still completely hands-on and everything, but I think that we were kind of just like, we didn't quite have it yet in the beginning. Because your album just came out last year. Yes. How long did you guys spend recording that and trying to get it right? or And did you like spend a lot of time trying to be kind of perfectionist and getting what you felt in a live show come across on that like recorded album? Or was it kind of more of just like a, let's play this as if we're playing a live show, one take it and see like, how we like it kind yeah. of thing. No, that's a that's a good question. Um that album was recorded over the course of 7 days, the entirety of it. Um in a basement in Denver. So, um we had had kind of a and uh, like a local idol of ours had reached out after we had like, you know, really been playing in Denver for a few years. And this was like, after we'd released the EP, we started kind of playing, you know, some of the larger places around and circulating those after kind of gritting our teeth. Like it went, basically it went from Pearl Street to DIY spaces. So like Seven Circle was like our home throughout the end of my high school career. And like the Forge, which was in Boulder and all these kind of DIY spots and kind of building that base and then kind of getting there. And so Nate from the Yoppers had kind of realized what we were doing through kind of strange happenstance. And was like, yeah, I just want to record you guys. Um, well, no, basically what happened is he reached out and we played a show with the Yoppers. And then he came up to Ian and I like after the show and he was like, I just want to record you guys and let's just do this thing. He'd never recorded a band or been or like produced a band. You know, we'd never worked with like a big person before or anything. And he was like, yeah, I have a friend that can do it in the basement. His name is Tyler Imbrogno from another band called Eldrin. And we are not usually prepared ever, <laughs> ever, ever. We like either wait until the last minute or communication is just like, kind of like falling downstairs you know you kind of walk up and then you fall down and it's like never can quite just like make it to the top um but i think in that process uh you know we had kind of started to put some songs together and formulate you know this these are six songs that we have and we went into the studio with nate and tyler expecting that we had it like totally written when we got down there nothing i mean it was like truly just kind of like puzzle pieces um, and so it was, it was a week of, honestly, um, it was a week of enlightenment in a lot of different ways too, because it was like the first time that I think we'd actually like clicked in the recording sense where we were in a safe space. We were in a basement, like there wasn't, there was a, there was stuff writing on it, but it wasn't as, it didn't feel like a bunch of gravity was on top of us. It was just like, we're going to record an album. And it was kind of magical for everybody in the room because I don't think Nate expected anything like that, nor did Tyler and nor did we. 
And so when the week was over and we were listening to it back, it was just like this whole montage of, you know, sit down from song one and then finish it. And that's kind of how it was written. It was like, you know, we'll play the first song on the track, finish that up, move on to the next one. Where are we at? And just kind of layered it that way. And then the album was done. Um, and, that, and that was it was a pretty, pretty successful one, which we were we were pretty happy with. So, mm hmm. Yeah, I definitely said it's a good album. Yeah, very much. And that's crazy to know it was all done in seven days. All in seven days. Everything you hear on that. But it took two years to release. So I think that's an, an important thing to note. Mm -hmm. uh, we finished it and in the same fashion. We still just like have never known what we're supposed to be doing. Um, and we've always done it ourselves. Everything has always been done just like us with not like very little outside help um there's usually people that help us get in places but there's not usually um somebody like helping us like actually get it done and so it sat for a really long time and ultimately i think you know with all the different processes and like the mixing and the mastering and trying to kind of figure out those were a learning process for us with that album for sure because we were actually working with some real industry people on that one and then after it was all said and done you know, we really tried to shop it and find some kind of label deal for it to back it before we released it. And ultimately just did a really poor job and didn't know what we were doing. And so just sat on it for way too long. And then we're growing as a band and we're like, okay, this thing feels old now. What the heck are we going to do? And I reached out to the Fox um, and got us that, like, a, it was our show at the Fox, basically held the date um, last May. And we revolved everything around that. Ian and I did all the artwork. You know, Will did all of the online distribution and everything um got everything ready to go and had a lot of friends who helped us get all that ready to go and then you know independently released it yeah so you guys have been on like a lot of tours it sounds like was that to do with the album did that happen after or was that sort of a before no we started touring really early on um when we were still like busking basically in our first year like we had started busking kind of like that april uh, I think this was like 2015 or 2016, um, you know, and we were busking and then we had met another Denver band after we had finally first started to play some of our sh like shows, like electric shows. Um, and both of us were like, you know, we need to start touring. We need to start touring. And so we took my mom's minivan and we played our first out of state show in Tucson, Arizona to three people in a garage that was like 115 degrees. And I remember the guitar was just like a piece of noodle. Oh. <laughs> it was like, Bleh. And, <laughs> and um, so that was kind of, that was, I mean, that's still kind of what our tours have been like. But, um, you know, we just started booking these random shows across the country wherever we could. And so, you know, our first tour, I think Will was 16, 15 or 16. Um, and, you know, we booked a show in Tucson and then we booked a show in Vegas and then we booked a show in Los Angeles, but it wasn't really Los Angeles. And they were kind of booked and kind of not booked. People would like reach out and be like, that would be fun. And then we just drove. Um, <laughs> kind of we're like driving to the shows like, hey, we're showing up. Like, when can we play? Um, and I remember we specifically booked the Vegas show, like, as we were, like, getting into Vegas. They were like, yeah, I think there's something going down, like, in Anderson, Nevada. And, like, I guess you guys could drive out there and play the show. And then it was kind of the same thing we played in L.A. We, like, were in L.A., like, looking around for shows to play, like, kind of showing up to venues and being like, can we play? Can we play? Like, and we ended up getting something in Lancaster, which was in the middle of buttfuck nowhere desert town, <laughs> um, and played at this really strange bar in, like, a Mexican supermarket. 
Um, so that was like our first tour and like the tours after were kind of in the same vein. Um, just sitting down and trying to just reach out to whatever small place we could find and solidify something and make a list of them. And the tours after that, you know, we've been up to through Seattle, Northwest, all the way down. Um, and those were kind of our first ones. And those ones were all on tour with a band called Meeting House out of Denver. So we would fit, there were six of us, two bands, all of our gear in a minivan. You know, three people would be in the back, one person here, the whole drum set here, all the instruments over all of us, and then two people in the front seat. And it was just like 18 days of like, okay. <laughs> you know, like it's like you're carrying a van that's like worth $5,000 to drive to a show that you're actually not supposed to play because you're not 21 and you'd show up and they'd be like, yeah, you can't really play the show because it's like, okay, we just drove a thousand miles to be here and we just have nowhere to sleep. It was, it was so much fun and so chaotic <laughs> and like so ridiculous for so long. Um, and those tours were like some of my like favorite things that I've ever done because they were just so unbelievable. And the connections that we've made on those tours still utilize today. That's awesome. Do you have like a favorite venue from any anywhere you've played? Oh gosh, yeah. Um, we played in San Francisco on the Fourth of July a few years back, um, and it was God. What was it called? It's called. It's not the Britisher. Is it the Britisher? I think it's the Britisher. No, I think that's in Lancaster. What the hell is it called? What the hell is it called? Okay, then I won't say that one. I'll say I'll say Le Voyard in uh, Olympia, Washington. Oh my God, it was so cool. Um, there was there were two other bands from Colorado who were touring through Oregon at that time, and I had booked both that show at Le Voyard. I think Aaron actually booked that show. He's the owner of Seven Circle. He booked that one, and then I had booked a show in Portland, and it was like basically four Denver bands with no organ following at all. And we got these shows, <laughs> and like both the promoters from both venues were like, "What the fuck? Like, do you guys have any following at all? You have like a four-band lineup, and nobody's gonna show up." So both those shows, we played to each other. Like the bands just played to each other, but the venues were awesome. So those are those are some some good venues up there. I like the Pacific Northwest area. It's yeah. fun. That's that's very fun. I can't imagine the promoters. <laughs> um, oh my god! Yeah. Sort of. I guess switching gears. Could you talk about like the musical influences that you've had through your life, and then also like what you guys use in the beads? Definitely. Um, you know, personally, I think we all have a pretty wide range of influences. All three of us in our own ways, but all kind of like converge when we are playing together. Um, personally, a lot of my, I mean, it depends on when you're asking is the thing. You know, I think that um, if I'm thinking about, you know, songwriting specific, uh, like, you know, Mountain Goats have always been a big one for me. Um, if I'm, if you're talking about, you know, variety and like being unapologetic and like vulnerability, like true vulnerability, you know, Tom Waits is a big one. Um, and then if you're thinking about, uh, you know, performance and, you know, like sound, I think replacements has always been a big one. Um, and so those are like three, three biggies. And then I know Velvet Underground for all of us has been really big, um, as many bands have also been very influenced from them as well. Um, so I think for the Beavs, a lot of them are like the most like unapologetic bands. 
And I think like modern current bands that are playing like parquet courts have always been like a really big one too. So, and I think that I think that one's that one's for sure. So, with that, how do you guys like? What's the kind of process for making one of your guys' songs and writing it? If you you know with your specific influences and then the rest of your bands, like if you have all different influences, how do you kind of mesh that into making like? A Beeves original song, like how do you totally. make that sound your own, and like what, what goes into that? What's the process behind writing those? Yeah, I think a lot of it is just not thinking at all, and also not really knowing what we're doing, as musicians, which is I think kind of been our a lot a lot of our success has come out of the lack of knowing, um, or just like how unprepared we are half the time, and that it like kind of just happens, which is like a shitty thing to say. But it's 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 somewhat true where, you know, Ian and I will sit down, you know, early, when we were first starting out, it was just like, you know, Ian and I would get in a room and we just kind of jam together and then write bullshit lyrics. And then that was kind of a song and then we would play it. And as the years have gone by, you know, it's a really collaborative process. Will is really great at, you know, actually understanding the structure of the songs. Ian is just so wild in the way that he plays and that he just kind of strikes gold by accident a lot of the time um, and then keeps mining that area. <laughs> um, and, you know, for me, I, I think it just really depends. I think it's a lot being, you know, kind of moving into the base role of this project. A lot of it is really understanding, you know, the full complexion of what's going on and trying to support that and also trying to lead at the same time, but then being a songwriter as well it adds a lot too because my the songs that I play bass on and that we play live a lot are very different than the songs that I write personally and that I write for the Beavs too, you know, and all of the albums kind of reflect that too. There's I, I usually have more of the the softer songs mm -hmm. on the records from what it has appeared um at this point. But it's, I, would, I would ultimately say that it's a highly collaborative process and that each member contributes equally to the songwriting process. I don't think one person can take more than the other. And that's part of the magic of the group, actually. So yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely a good mindset to have with putting mm -hmm. stuff together. And really listening to each other yeah. and valuing everybody's input, you mm -hmm. know. Probably a pretty good transition to this song, Mercy B. We've heard it is your baby specifically. Ah, uh, yes, that one was. Uh, <laughs> that one was definitely. It's funny because that song um, was actually kind of like a something Ian and I. We've been playing that riff for a really long time. It's kind of like got the plunky bass, and then Ian plays that kind of spooky guitar line. Mm -hmm. um, and that was something like we were like we've just messed with for years. Just that little melody. Even when we were like, I still remember when we were recording Adam and Beeve. I remember like sitting on the floor in the basement and we were playing that. And like Tyler walked in, and he was like, "Yeah, you can't do that. Like we're not gonna put that on the record." Um, you said bet. <laughs> well, yeah. And then when we were getting ready to go um, for uh, this this previous or this next record um, that Mercy B is on we had kind of posted up and kind of like we're like okay what do we have here what are songs that we've worked on through you know these couple years that we still might want to touch on um and just started kind of refiguring those and that was one that i personally was like always really about doing something with um but did not expect what we got on that record um at all 
And I think the whole process of the recording of that one was just so unlike anything I was expecting. You know, Will really started to feel it out when we were in the studio with the plunkiness, Ian doing that. It just, it turned into something so much different than I was expecting um, and was really, really, really happy about. And it was pretty magical doing that one, so. And so that's on a record that's coming out soon. So was it? did you guys record a while ago? Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no, 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 no. It's, it's a bit confusing for me, too, <laughs> with all the COVID stuff that happened, too, and my timeline is, is a bit skewed. Um, uh, we recorded that record. We were actually in the studio a year ago to the day. Um, so we recorded that one last November in Chicago. Uh, that was a really big opportunity for us because we did it at a, at, a, at a studio called Electrical Audio in Chicago, which is where Steve Albini, who did you know Nirvana Records, Pixie Records, kind of like was behind the board of the whole grunge wave, mm-hmm. was literally there. He did In Utero. He's done all, just all sorts of crazy shit. Um, and so we got the opportunity to go into Electrical Audio and record there for a week. Um, same kind of thing as Adam and Beef. We were totally unprepared. Um, we posted up like three weeks, I think, before we actually went into the studio. We're like, okay, these are like six songs we have kind of together. Um, and it was like the first time we'd actually recorded in a real studio. Everything prior to that um, had been, or previous to that, had been in basements. And so we're in the comfort of like our own home and everything. So it was like actually like, the pilgrimage to Chicago to record in this legendary <laughs> studio was like really fucking daunting. Um, and we still didn't know what we were doing. Um, and we only had a few songs. I mean, like we, I would say we were least prepared for that record, um, for this coming record. Um, I mean, we kind of had an idea, but there was actually a lot more writing on this one and a lot more pressure. We were spending a lot of money. We are in this like world famous studio, like, there were a lot of industry people around and it was like, okay, we can't fuck up on this one. We really can't fuck up on this one. And so um, we got in on day one and we had played like two back-to-back sets, uh, one, in Lincoln, one in Lincoln and then one in Omaha and then drove all night long after our set in Omaha um, like all night long and we started recording at 8 a.m. We got in Chicago at 7, got a Dunkin' Donuts and started the record. Um, <laughs> and, oh my God. And I just like still remember like kind of playing those first few tracks and like Nate was on the monitor. He was like, what the fuck are you guys doing? He was like, are you guys ready to go at all? And we're like, yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> I think so. Like, um, But it was, again, really, really really magical um you know i think that we all allowed ourselves to just create and i think with that kind of pressure and throwing yourself in that kind of box and using the tools that are with you without having time to think beforehand and crawling into that box you're forced to like really really self-search um and use each other as resources because it's it's essential to actually creating it and so this record was is my favorite thing that we've done so far and i think is the most collaborative as well because i think will especially shined on this record he kind of got be out of the drum set and you know played a few songs he's really been getting into some songwriting stuff and he's really 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 wonderful um and he's just he's 
wonderful, wonderful musician. And it was time for him to kind of like, you know, really be there. And I think he had to be there because we didn't, we weren't ready as much as we could have been. And I'm really glad that we weren't because it really forced him to be more a part of it. He kind of got behind, uh, out of the drum set, basically. Oh, yeah. Yep, so he was very collaborative. Um, you know, Ian, Ian brought a lot to the album too. Um, I would say that we each kind of contributed, you know, three songs to the record. Um, I mean, it's 10 songs, but I would say that like, there were kind of specific things where one of us would really bring something and then we would all work on it together. Um, so I'm, I'm happy with, with, with that record. So, um, but with COVID and everything, it's kind of thrown a pretty big wrench into everything. So it was supposed to be coming out like now at the latest um, was the plan because this process was a lot faster than Adam and Beeve because we had the resources and we had the connections and you know there was actually a lot more talk of labels before we even went in to it and then you know just in the studio you know Bloodshot Records was like there when we were doing it we played for them went into the shop you know there was a lot like okay things are moving we'll get this thing mastered we'll get it out we've had a lot of help from the Bohemian Foundation and the Music District up in Fort Collins a lot of really supportive people up there that were helping us like push it and be like, yeah, it's time to get, you know, you guys backed with somebody and some kind of label help because it's just so goddamn expensive. Um, and uh, then COVID happened and now we're not really sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I think like this, we released uh, one song off of this about a month and a half ago or two months ago. And then this one was just kind of like, we need to keep activity going on this um and so that's that but i i'm not i'm not really sure what the projection of it looks like or when the release will be so yet to be determined well this is just like such a beautiful song and it makes me want to like walk into a sunset and like never return <laughs> but can you speak to a little bit about like what your inspiration was and like the story you're trying to tell with this song yeah absolutely um it's funny because i uh because we had had that lick for a while and Ian and I had been kind of messing around with it. Um, it was really more the fact that Ian was working on another song that night before we were going in for vocals. We didn't have any lyrics for the song. We had the song like done instrumentally. So we do all our instrumentals first and then we do the vocals on the last days um, is how we've always tracked. And so like, I believe that the whole instrumentation of the track was done. Um, and we didn't have the vocals for it, or we had kind of the chorus of it, but we didn't have the melody for it. And I'd been kind of figuring out something when we were in the studio. And on one of the nights, Ian was working on one of the other songs. And I just like was like, I'm just going to write the lyrics for this right now and get this thing ready to go for tomorrow because we don't have time. And so I sat on the steps um, of the studio and like we had free range of the place and we were living in the studio too so we were all in the studio for the entire time um so we'd all just be in different parts of the studio um and it was like this massive place where you could be in you know the a room where there's pianos and guitars and free range you know kirk cobain's guitar it was there too just like on the rack and you could just play it Damn you know it. late at night just like a wall of pedals it was just like the most like fucking crazy surreal thing ever 
And so just like being surrounded by all of that and just like being in this room where you're like, oh my God, this is like where Dave Grohl has tracked his drums and like really crazy to just like sit there and kind of soak all that in. And so I just sat there and, and wrote that track out. Um, and I had used like part of a poem that I had written prior to going in the studio. And I remember I like took a walk around my neighborhood and it started to kind of jot something down. And then I just elaborated off of that. Um, and then Ian wrote the chorus parts like um, Take Mercy Be, Mercy Be or whatever. That part we had done prior to going in the studio. Now I'm remembering. Yes. Okay. That part was <laughs> written when we went in the studio because we had kind of formulated that before we went in. And so the chorus was there and we knew we were going to do that, but we didn't have like a melody or lyrics for it. And so, um, so that kind of happened. And then the next day, went in the studio and I'd been kind of chain smoking the whole time we had been there because you could smoke inside. We, I mean, I think we all were. And we were all just like stressed. And so I was just like, oh my God, I'm breathing more cigarette than I am. Oxygen is horrible. And so my voice was just getting more and more like a trash can throughout the whole time. Um, and when we were recording that one and I was doing the vocals for it, I had like kind of dropped my register and um, I sang it in a lower register than I would ever do. <laughs> ever 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 um and just like laid it out that way and it was like you just have to do it this way like it has to be low and so i kind of sang it like a 60 year old man um <laughs> like who was like out on the dusty trail um and then it ended up being the how it was all together um and so i was feeling really honestly somewhat self-conscious about that vocal part for a long time i mean i still feel somewhat strange about it because it's like when we play a performance i definitely don't emulate that voice uh, and so you know even listening to it too it's been interesting to see the kind of reception on it and be like no that that's that's me singing it like um, so it's a it's a definitely an interesting track there's a lot lot going on in it I guess kind of another question since we went a little bit into the song I know we just saw the music video like right now but if you want to talk a bit I know how much of a role you played in making the music video, but I thought that was an awesome video. And so I'd love to just kind of hear more about the process behind it, the kind of how you went from the recorded song to the video and like came up with the visuals and whatnot. Um, yeah, that was another kind of spur of the moment um, thing that was done in one night, the whole thing you saw. Um, and we, we had, Fort Collins does this thing called FOCO MX in April. Uh, every year and it's like this pretty big festival where they invite a bunch of big acts and they invite like the locals to all share kind of the stage together you know two years ago Blondie was there um, like they always have just Fort Collins is truly one of the most supportive music scenes I have ever seen in my ever 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 like anywhere um, and so they had this thing where when you apply to the festival you can also apply for this competition it's not really a competition it's like an opportunity to record a free music video um, with uh, it's presented by the Bohemian Foundation which is a nonprofit out of Fort Collins which is why it's such a supported music scene there's a lot of money that goes into the community that's actually like all supported and all nonprofit money so they a lot a lot of money to creating that creative um, environment and city, it's it's a really beautiful thing. And so we had, I had filled out that little form and was like, yeah, sure, we'll apply for this free music video thing and we'll see if we get it, whatever. And so um, we got the offer, it was like, 
we got into the festival along with being like, hey, you also got this opportunity to record a free music video before the festival. And then they like premiere all the videos at the f festival free of charge. You don't have to do anything and you can just kind of pick a song. So um, festival was canceled because of COVID and everything. Everything was postponed, including this like video shoot and everything. And so in August, we got a message and they were like, hey, I think we're going to try to do this music video shoot. Um, and that was from Colorado Sound. And they were like, hey, we're going to try to do this. and We're going to just pair you up with some random production company. And so we got paired up with a group called Nergrat Re Media. Um, that's like mostly done by like, I think there was there was there was like a crew of like six or something run by like two main guys. Um, and we met them over Zoom the Friday before we started recording. <laughs> we start we met them on Friday and we started recording Saturday night with no plan. <laughs> um, and so because the whole thing, 53 or 50, the, the actual name of the competition, it's like 5380 or something like that, or about 5370, where it's like you have to do it in this like short amount of time. And that's kind of the whole thing. They've put you up with a crew, they support you, but you have to do it in this like little period of time. And so we didn't have very much time. We met them. We told them their our idea. They said that they had some barn out in Fort Collins that they could kind of figure out. They liked the song, kind of created an idea for it. We kind of collabed a little bit. They had a few actors come out, showed up to the space. Um, we started filming around like nine at night, and then we went until like three in the morning. Um, and we brought all of our Western gear, and like I brought my tape machine, and the, the whole video is filmed in one shot. So we did it half time. Actually, that's why it like appears that it's all slow motion and everything. Well, it was double time, double time when we were recording. So it's like boom, like it sounded like album the Chipmunks was going, basically <laughs> as it's recording because like they're recording on one fluid shot. If you guys are familiar with like Birdman and everything, yeah, like yeah. a continuous shot the whole time, where she pressed a tape recorder. And like this fast version of Mercy B is playing and she's like dancing through this whole thing. And then we're all kind of moving from this shot to the next shot to the next shot. So there's no splicing in the actual shot itself um, because we didn't have a lot of time and everything. So we're like, we'll just do this in one shot. And so then they sped it up in the actual um, pre-production um, to the normal speed. So everything is slow motion um, and kind of flowy and dreamlike. So. A lot of that goes, um, I would say most of like the creative input on that one goes to Nergrat Media. We were, we were kind of secondhand on that. It was, you know, they were kind of calling the shots. Mm -hmm. We were like, yes, no, or kind of things like yeah. that. So they were awesome. Big shout out to them. Yeah, like hearing the song and then watching the video, I was like, oh, that's, that's perfect. Like that, that couldn't, couldn't be better. It's absolutely beautifully done. Um, you, you've talked about this in a couple different ways, but can you maybe elaborate on like what your experience has been with making music during the pandemic or if you've been able to make music for the last however long? And yeah, it's, oh my gosh. Uh, I think I've used this analogy for other things, but I kind of feel like, like Silly Putty a little bit, you know, Silly Putty never really breaks. It's just kind of like you can pull it and pull it and pull it and then it's just kind of like a little string down there like I feel like this pandemic has kind of been like silly putty where we kind of start out and it starts getting pulled and then we like create something else and then it kind of starts getting pulled and then we create something else and the string never really breaks um, I don't know if that makes any sense but uh, beautiful analogy <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so 
I think in the beginning of the pandemic, we were really optimistic. We're like, you know, we're going to make the best of this. We've got a record coming out. We've got a lot of big things moving. Um, And so we did, we spent a lot of time on like our live streams and like did some like actual recordings during quarantine that we were like pretty serious about and we're working really hard on. Um, But as the summer like progressed, it became just like a little more difficult and the pandemic just seemed to just drag and a little more scary, I think too, for everybody. And it felt just a little irresponsible to be really trying to push performances, in my opinion, too. I was like, I don't want to play anything inside. I'm not going to confirm any shows that are inside or that seem loosey-goosey at all. And, like, we were getting offers from venues. And they were like, hey, like, we have socially distanced shows. Like, we want you in here. And I was like, no. And I think that we all kind of were under that understanding. So we did get to play through the uh, through the through the summer more than a lot of groups did. Um, we played a drive-in show where everybody pulled up with their cars. We played the cars, which was really interesting. And then we we played at Mishawaka up in Fort Collins two times this summer, which was really amazing because it's an outdoor venue on the river up there, and they had all of these tables set out, and it was really beautifully done. So we actually got an opportunity to perform this summer and really play some music that like felt like live music even though people were sitting at tables um and i think at this point i don't think that we're really discouraged but i think that it's it's really difficult to pour a lot of energy into something that right now doesn't seem as significant to everything else going on outside of music and everything going on outside of you know our own little bubble you know i think that definitely with everything pre-election a lot of the focus needed to be on a lot of the movements going on and on focusing that attention towards the election and everything um uh it's just i think we were all kind of feeling that too there are not a lot of people playing and it felt somewhat irresponsible to be playing especially as it gets colder too because a lot of things are inside Mm -hmm. and everybody's kind of figuring it out um and i think it's difficult too because there's so many moving parts but it like it doesn't really feel like a live performance when um you know there's only a couple people there it's just like losing some of its integrity but it's also still important to maintain it so i think a lot of people are not have not really struck that balance yet because everybody's so unsure um and so but i think that it is important to like you know you still have to you don't want to just not exist through all of this but i think that it's also being like, let me be sensitive to what's going around outside and making sure that we're, we're doing our part, but also still providing some kind of reprieve for people. Um, so, you know, we have a, a show this weekend, also presented by Mishawaka, but it's inside of a bowling alley. Um, and like, I'm, I'm a little nervous about it because I like don't want a lot of people to show up, but I obviously do want people to show up. Um, and I know that they work really well with social distancing measures. So this will be the first show we've had inside in a long time. And with it being as bad as it is, like, it's like, yeah, that's a, that's a risk. Um, what the hell are we supposed to do? We haven't played a show in three months and people want it. And like you're saying you're doing everything right. So it's like, I think for me personally, I just like, I wouldn't be able to forgive myself if there was like one person at the show who had it and it like created some kind of pocket and, you know, it was our show. So I would feel really responsible for that. Um, so this weekend, you know, I think it's going to be like hyper vigilant and understanding things. And if things feel uncomfortable, it's like, okay, then we need to communicate this and see what we can do to make sure that it's all okay. So we'll see. We'll see. It's a very tricky position. It is. It's really tricky too. Cause like all I, all I want to do is be playing and all I want to do is be 
continuing to do this, but I think that the main thing, I mean, personally for me, it's been trying to find other ways to alleviate that kind of like restlessness um, and, you know, fueling energy into like other artistic endeavors and different things that I can do that don't relate to this or, you know, this project. It's definitely hard to balance that. I think that kind of at the end of the questions we had prepared here, but just if there's, you know, at the end, any self promo you want to do, like what's next for the bees, anything you want to the camera turned off. <laughs> we can finish up without a camera. That's all right. Uh, any, yeah, anything you want to kind of <laughs> finish off, finish up with, like what are you guys planning? I know the album is kind of like up in the air with when it might come out, but what's next for you all? Yeah, I mean, um, I'm not really sure what everything's going to look like with COVID. And like I said, I want to be, I just want to be sensitive to the pandemic and not try to preemptively push something or book a show in uh, in like May, for example, and be like, this is gonna be our release show. And then COVID's still in full swing and you know we have to cancel it and have to deal with all of that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like, you don't wanna just keep waiting and waiting and waiting and then never have the album come out because COVID is still going on. Yeah. Um, and so I don't think that we've really figured out what we're gonna do with that yet. I think that at this point, we're gonna continue to release singles. Um, to get people just something and just like keep throwing things out there instead of just like releasing the full thing. So I think we'll probably release one more single after this, probably in January or something like that and keep kind of pushing those and keeping excitement and keeping people like engaged. But I think we'll just see. Um, We got another offer to do our third record and this time in Spain. So, so it's, it's, I'm not sure how that's all going to be, but that's supposed to be in July. And it's like, well, if COVID's going to happen, then we have no idea um, how that's going to be. So who knows? So I'm not really banking on it, but it's out in the world. And that's kind of the excitement where it's like, okay, next summer could be really cool if COVID's not going on. Or if it is going on, you know, maybe we just do an album and we haven't even released the other one yet. And so we'll have two albums. So Mm -hmm. like, oh gosh. So not really sure. Well, thank you so much for being here. This has been awesome. We're so excited for everything you have coming out. It's going to be very exciting, very cool. Thank you for listening to Crave the Podcast. Crave the Podcast is produced by myself, Jake Trujillo, Zach Clement, and Kellyanne LeMercier. Make sure to follow Crave the Sound on Instagram and subscribe wherever you like to listen. You can also check out our YouTube channel for weekly episodes. See you next week.